HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed And I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. (laughs) Me, Ben, and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more interesting to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) My mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that what you guys are doing is so important. (laughs) This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Learn more at restaurantworkerscf.org. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And whoever thought that a video series about watching an old Italian grandmother's making pasta will become hugely successful. It's a, got its own YouTube channel. It is a YouTube channel. Pasta Grannies. I'm sure you've caught sight of it or at least heard it about. Well, 
producer, director, creator, food writer, Vicki Benison saw something special and spent over six years filming and interviewing the women who became pasta grannies. Traditional regional recipes and techniques will be preserved thanks to her foresight and work. Because truly, Pasta Grannies is about so much more than an Italian Nona making fresh pasta. And now there is a companion cookbook that shares not only the recipes, but also the extraordinary stories of these endearing women. And I am so pleased that the creator of the series, Vicki Benison, is here in the studio with me to share the behind-the-scene tales. Vicki spent many years working in international development in places like Siberia, South Africa, and Turkmen Turkmenistan. Yep. And as she said, the next decent meal was always on her mind. So she began writing about her culinary adventures. From mushroom hunting with the Russian mafia to cooking zebra in <laughs> Kenya, <laughs> she is the author of A Taste of a Place and co-wrote Seasonal Spanish Food with Jose Pizarro. She and her husband split their time between London and Le Marque in Italy. Welcome, Vicky. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. As I said, this is truly an incredible and invaluable cookbook because it's it has now, well, not the cookbook alone, but the videos themselves have locked in these treasures, these treasures of, of old recipes, old techniques, and... Uh, and the stories in the book, what, what is so nice in the book is, is that you get to read the stories about these beautiful women, this wonderful woman. But what, tell me a little bit about what led you to do this. Well, I was researching another book, which never saw the light of day. And <laughs> in that process, um, noticed that it was only old women who were making pasta on a daily basis. And um, they're the last of that kind. You know, for everyone younger than about um, 75, it's a choice. And I thought, um, let's celebrate them. Um, and so I started um, filming them because um, pasta making is such a physical process um, that words don't do enough. And um, so it gradually came into being as a YouTube channel. The algorithms of YouTube eventually got their tentacles into me, and now uh -huh. I actually <laughs> upload every Friday. Um, but yes, that's how it started, kind of gradually, and I wanted to... Um, <coughs> Also, just celebrate older women. Um, I felt um, that there are loads of lovely celebrity chefs and things, but and they're always saying, oh, you know, my mother or my grandmother, you know, they're my inspiration, but we never see them. Um, right. And so I thought, yeah, there's space for that. <laughs> well, and as we spoke um, a little bit before... Uh, the show, yeah, it's a dying breed uh, because those those people, the women who are now grandmothers, <clears throat> they all rode the wave of well, or economic times, you know, reasons for that too. But of women going back to work, and they're not at home cooking. No, um, I think it was important for women women to actually um, demonstrate that they could do more than cooking, and so that's why it got left behind a bit. But I think um, for younger women, um, our core audience is in fact 25 to 35 year olds, and um, they're discovering that actually you can do both. You can have a career and love food, and actually discover traditions through that food. Yeah, well, certainly <clears throat> these 
uh, spending time with these grannies, yeah. working with flour and eggs and dough in their hands. A lot tamer than cooking zebra in, in uh, Kenya lot, or, but, or the, hanging out with the Russian mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but it's just as interesting. Um, um, it is an, an, an everyday adventure, if you like, um, and I love every one of them, yeah. Yeah, well... How what I what I'm curious about, and I know you've talked about this with mm. with other people that you've been interviewed by, mm. and is the process how I mean you just don't go approach somebody on the street and say, hey, will you cook for me? Uh, yes, we do. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, walk me through that process <laughs> a little bit and tell me you do have a charming story about the about the first granny that you ever filmed, but but so why don't you share that and, and talk about the process a little bit. Um, I'll start with Livia, who's my granny finder. Um, uh, your granny wrangler. Huh? <laughs> I, I do have a granny wrangler, um, Livia from Faenza, because to close the deal, if you like, you need an Italian, even though I speak Italian. Um, and um, she has been known um, to stand on near, Neapolitan street corners and, and say, will you cook? <laughs> but that is not our only method. Um, we um, rely on word of mouth and friends of friends and also organizers of food festivals, which are called Sagra. Um, in Italy, and um, they uh, recommend people, um, and so that's how we find them. Also, you know, through the local town hall, that kind of thing. Mm. So there are sort of several ways. You, you, you know, for example, we're off to um, uh, Trentino in a couple of weeks' time, mm. and there we're kind of working with people who, um, more generally, you know, in craft kind of ways, have associations, and and you know, the older women will make pasta in that. So we kind of got recommendations through them. So it's all quite interesting. Um, well, there um, there is. You know, there there is that stereotype, and I, I think it really is more Italian than any other culture, mm. but that stereotype of, you know, the old mama, mm -hmm. now it's a grandma, but the, the Italian mama standing in the kitchen stirring the pot of sauce forever mm -hmm. and ever, mm -hmm. and as I say, that's, you know, that is dying out, and it's not, it's a stereotype that a lot of people didn't want to, uh, to uh, continue, but it you know, it it is these women are they're very ordinary women in, in they cook for their family. They share the love. I mean, not I don't mean ordinary in a you know in a bad way, but because yeah. they all have extraordinary stories about where they how they arrived at this mm -hmm. point. But they're just ordinary women who you know cooked for their families, and now they're continuing this for you. Um, very much so. I mean, they're very happy to share their experience, and they're surprised that people are asking. I mean, sometimes husbands come in from the fields to watch it happening because they can't quite believe the equivalent of um, baked beans is being filmed. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've taken it entirely for granted mm -hmm. until that point. Um, so that's one thing, um, you know, that they're surprised. They'll say, oh, you know, my daughter isn't interested, so I'm very pleased that you are. Um, that's one thing. Um, and I think that myth of uh, the nonna, I mean, she is central to um, Italian family life. And it's just, I, mean, I think that will continue. It's just that in, in 20 years' time, what nonna will be cooking isn't going to be handmade pasta, which is, has right. been the case. Right. Um, so that, that was a sort of one of the motivations um, for filming them. Right, yeah, cultures mm. and food yeah. I mean, evolve and, mm. and things change. Yes. It would be... and. It would be a, a sorry thing to see that go away. However, pasta was not always 
as um, universal throughout the country right. as it is now either. And you, I mean, you've traveled around a lot and obviously been mm. so involved with PASA. I'm sure you've learned quite a bit about mm. <laughs> PASA and its history. And uh, and you share a little bit of the background of, of, of PASA and how it sort of now has taken over. Yes, I'm yeah. not a culinary historian right. like you, um, but the, the, what I have learned through friends as well who are in that field is that Ada Boney, a, a writer right. um, back in the 1930s, um, did a lot to use pasta as a unifying kind of uh, food ingredient to bring Italy together. Um, and, you know, so the sort of terms for pasta have changed. It was macaroni and, yes. and things like that. Yeah. So um, that's one interesting aspect of it. Um, and the other is that actually pasta um, quite often was a celebratory food. You couldn't always eat it every day. Um, it was one of those Sunday foods and celebratory foods. Um, I mean, particularly the tortellinis and things which take time to make. Right. Right. Um, so, so there's that aspect of pasta. And um, then you have all the migration from south to north. <coughs> Um, and um, so, you know, pasta has come north where there was polenta. But certainly, um, you know, when you think of northern Italy and Milan and, and Turin, those big cities and, mm -hmm. and things, um, it's quite interesting that even so, even though there is polenta and there's rice that is eaten as a carbohydrate in those areas, um, you still get fascinating little pastas. Um, and one of my favorites, um, it got me very excited, <laughs> um, was called Pee for Zach. And it means baby's nappies because <laughs> of the way that you close it. It's a kind fold of, it, yeah. fold it over right. into a kind of pleat. And I mean, it's full of, you know, cheesy breadcrumbs and, and things and you kind of douse it in butter. Um, so it's a, a meatless thing. Um, but um, I love discovering that. That's north of Lake Izio is about one tiny spot that make that pasta. Um, well, that and that's what the, um, I mean, obviously the videos highlight this but the book you you know I get to, you get to spend time the videos are over quickly and then yes in the book you get to spend time looking at the recipes and and the stories of the people and identifying again reminding me okay where does she come from where are you you know mm -hmm. filming this and uh, I know a lot about Italy and a lot about mm -hmm. pasta and a lot about the you know the culture but there are Types of pastas, names of pastas, I have never heard of. I mean, it truly is. Well, the, the cuisine in general is very regional, mm -hmm. and I'm sure with all your travels, you have found this to be, you know, remarkably so. Uh, yes, it's designed to confuse the non-Italian. Oh. I think <laughs> <laughs> when you're Italian, you're actually convinced that your own village is the only place that makes that pasta. Uh -huh. So that's fine. Um, the next door village makes it, just under a different yes. name. <laughs> so my theory about that is is that um, pasta making is often a group activity. It's when women come together for a good natter. Um, you know, many hands make light work, and so you need to have consensus about um, what you're doing, the shape of it, because you can't all be doing your own thing as it won't cook in the same rate, um, you will have your own dialect, um, which we know changes as you go around the hill. Um, and so that's how pastas have ended up, you know, one shape will have several names, and then one name can apply to several pastas. Um, and that kind of fries your brain getting around that. You can have sort of like the, the macaroni shape will have about five different names in, you know, a small area. Um, right. So... So there's all that kind of mapping that happens. Um, 
So the, the way we go about it is, you know, we'll look for a pastor, but we're also looking for women. Um, and so, as you say, it's the older, the better. <laughs> <laughs> the wrinklier, the better. I do have someone who wrote in saying, oh, my nonna is 104. And I'm going, oh, my word, how quickly can I get to Sardinia? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did. I was, I was impressed. I went, and I was very pleased because I spent a lot of time in Sardinia. And I love the yeah. fact that you have so many recipes of women cooking um, pastas from Sardinia. Yes. And all very different. Very. very. I mean, yeah. that's extraordinary. I think it's because the women were left um, to their own devices while the, the men, their husbands, went off as shepherds and spent large amounts of time on the, on the uh, hillsides. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, were, they had to invent all these pastas. <laughs> In your research um, to... Well, obviously you find a nonna, but then yes. I'm sure that you then start to do some research, and so you know a little something about what she's going to be doing. Oh, yes, yeah. How are you finding references, um, or are you finding references to the the dishes, or are these pretty much their recipes and well-kept secrets, or... Um, Yes. I mean, what you find is that there quite often is an official recipe. Some association has got together and said it's, uh, this is, uh, you know, the bol- uh, the bolognese, the ragu from Bologna. Right. Well, um, well, that's, of course, that's on the register now. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, no one else cares. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the cooks in the area all do minor tweaks to that. Um, and, you know, so the, there's a, cons- a broad consensus about what that recipe is. But every household has its own sort of minor tweaks. Um, and it's, it's the way their mother taught them, but it's also, you know, their son's grown up not to like garlic too much, so they'll knock back on that. Um, and so um, that's how, you know, all these recipes sort of vary. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of careful to say, you know, this is Maria's recipe rather than the official yeah. recipe, you know, the laid down in stone. Right. Um, I notice that. Every, yeah. every recipe has the, the woman's name. Yes, for to um, obviously to, to identify her, but yes, their her variation on the yes, recipe. yeah. Mm. I know it's one of my one of my pet peeves when people talk about well, this is an authentic dish. I'm saying, please <laughs> don't use that word. I mean, who authentic to whom? You know, yes. to your grandmother or yes. my grandmother? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's authentic to me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I want to go through um, a couple of the you know the special ones, but yeah, um, the. A lot of people think of, oh, it's just pasta, and it's you know it it all stems from you know cucina povera. But in fact, you know there was a time back way back when when it, you know they couldn't afford the you know the the wheat if they didn't yeah. live near a mill or didn't have their own. Or, yeah. Or certainly not the eggs. It wouldn't be an egg pasta. You know? No. Um, so that's quite recent actually. Um, you know the one egg every hundred grams of flour. Um, you know if you were if you were poor you sold the eggs. Um, right. If you could, so adding eggs is celebratory. Um, so it's only in the last fifty years that that's been happening. Um, you know, and so when you see tallerine from Piemonte, for example, and they're saying, "Oh, add twenty egg yolks." I mean, that's only restaurants that do that. I mean, housewives are very much more frugal um, than that. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That it's it's and and obviously then you know it it. As you say, it's spread with migration of the workers going mm. north. Well, and in other countries, um, certainly in America, mm. we, you know, saw the migration primarily of, of Italians from the south, from Sicily yes. and Naples and below, 
Um, so there was a lot of pasta, a lot of pasta coming over, but, you know, it was... Oh, that's a certain type, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a certain so, type. Or as you said, it was all called macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> but even in your book, there are so many types of macaroni. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, what, what are, what's, is there any type that sort of, and I don't mean to spring this on you, but like that kind of took you by surprise or that was your favorite or, you know, a particular story? We've mentioned Sardinia. I'm, I yes. absolutely, <laughs> every time I'm, I go there, I'm always amazed by how local they are. And I think the first time I went there with the, you know, the Suzuku, which is the, and the use of saffron and, and things and how that came to pass. And these women are still um, wearing their traditional dress, for example, as a matter of course, there are still sort of 70 year old, 70 year olds wandering around in these beautiful sort of aproned, um, right. skirted things. Right. Um, so, and no different to what's in the museum. It's a wonderful thing. And it's not for tourists. Um, so, you know, I, th I think if you're a culinary historian, then you need to go to Sardinia Definitely. quite quickly. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Well, in fact, one of my one of my favorites out of the whole book, and it's hard yeah. to pick a favorite, yeah. is uh, the, um, who is it? Cesaria? No. Cesaria. Cesaria, yeah. making the Loriditas. Yes. This, you have got to see the video, and you have got to look at the book to see these. They look, it's interesting, because once they're sauced, someone might say, well, it's sort of like a, a you know, just a, a pasta ring, you know. Okay. These are very special. They are. They're and only tell made. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, they're only made um, for um, All Saints Day. Um Traditionally, I mean, now they're eaten year-round, but that's and they're only made in a town called Morganjuri. And um, Cesaria, who is now 95 years old, mm -hmm. has been making them every day, I think, for the last 80 years. <laughs> and hers are particularly, you, you have to compare it to something like a hazelnut. I mean, you can see just how small and fine they are. Um, and she is actually our, our most viewed nonna. She is globally famous. So when oh, we, yeah. <laughs> and so when we went back, um, in fact, to, I was thinking of posting her picture for, oh, yeah, you, know, for that'd be great. To, you know, to advertise the show. <laughs> yeah. When we went back, um, we showed her the video and said, you know, you're famous. And she thought it was hilarious. She laughed her head off. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> but to see these, I mean, they're, so she takes a, a, the tiniest, tiniest strand yes. of pasta. So she takes a tiniest strand of pasta. Uh, she's rolled it out really thinly, um, and it's a durum wheat flour dough, so only water, no eggs. And um, and then she wraps it twice around her fingers, and then, like winding a watch, you twiddle it, and you end up with this kind of twisted, it looks braided, mm -hmm. um, hoop. And then you just, you, you allow them to dry out on the most beautiful flat basket, um, <laughs> so that's part of its charm as well. And traditionally, it's just, you know, in the absence of radio and television and all that kind of thing, it's just a way of women getting together and singing and entertaining themselves as they made this in preparation for... And sharing gossip, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, all aiming for um, this celebratory meal on the 1st of November. And it was traditionally served with chicken, um, the actually um, cockerels, because you only need one for a flock of hens. Um, so all the surplus males were um, slaughtered and, um, and made into a ragout. 
Um, and so that's how you have, I know everyone says, oh, you can't have pasta and chicken. Well, yes, you can. <laughs> um, and so it's stewed in tomato sauce and things, and that's what you serve with your loregitas. Yeah. I mean, if you see these, I mean, I, I think I had a pair of earrings one time that looked yeah. like one of these. Very images. much so. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. they're great. They're great filigree designers yes, and makers and lace makers and lace makers um, filigree <coughs> jewelry um, beautiful breads they have very elaborate yes. breads yeah. there um, yeah, yeah that's a book in itself I think yeah. the breads mm -hmm. a project <laughs> I hear a project um, some of the other um, possible oh you know what I actually love the story of and is was um, the Maria's Raschiatelli yes uh, Lucia's is very nice too. And we'll talk about that one. Raschiatelli. Tell yes. us what a raschiatelli is, because it's probably called something else in yeah. this country, you know, yeah. under another dialect. But um, she has a wonderful story about the size, a way to feed a lot of people quickly and, and dirty cheese so so raschiatelli is a type of cavatelli which is when you kind of roll your fingers across dough <coughs> to create a kind of curve and so her raschiatelli are um, three fingers wide and she says if you're in a hurry or you've got a lot of people to feed you use all ten fingers so you'd have like this giant <laughs> yes. loaf of bread you pretty much bread again, like so it looks like bread. a sort of um, pot of uh, pea pod right and and you just and it's very chunky I mean I, I'm not sure that is the greatest pasta, but it gets yeah. people full. I mean, she's a farmer. Uh -huh. um, yeah, yeah. could make a lot of it and have it on the table quickly. Yes. Something that I was really never aware of, um, well, then, then Lucia, who, who uh, I mean, this is all from um, the Basilicata region. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, yeah we, we had a very fertile group of... <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so a lot of good recipes from there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's uh, very far south, for those of you yes, who aren't familiar. Yes, yeah. in, the, in the arch of the foot. Right. Mm. Um, Lucia has a, a wonderful recipe, and an ingredient that you rarely see, especially with pasta, and tell us yes. about that. So horseradish. Yeah. <laughs> Go <laughs> figure. So, you, know, <laughs> you kind of would expect it up north, you know, on the borders with Austria and Germany. But actually, you do get horseradish. Um, and it's served with the meat ragouts. And they think... Um, uh, that it came with the Albanians. There were a lot of Albanian refugees ah. um, that came over a couple of centuries ago, bringing horseradish with them. Um, so that's why it's there. Of course, anyone who has a garden knows that you never plant horseradish. It just finds its way in your garden, because <laughs> once it's there, it spreads, and well, you can't get rid yes. of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's that's great. Great use for it. Yes. But it, it, that intrigued me. So they grate it over the... They just grate it over the meat. Um, and she cooks sauce. it with... And she makes a sauce with salami yes and, yeah. so sort of quite a fresh salami and you and you just do it with tomatoes and then the final act is to grate this horseradish yeah. over it yeah now that's something that i think um would take a lot of people by surprise yeah, yeah. And, and, but, <laughs> and, but i think it's i think it's wonderful um and quite a few of the women made um sanye yes um which I had never really even, well, I've never heard it called anything, seen it on different travels, but never heard it called. 
uh, a particular name. Can you mm. describe really what it is? Sanya Retorte we're talking about. Uh, the, just the long... Um, twisted. Twisted once mm -hmm. and then kind of just folded over. Yeah, okay, a big so, noodle. Yeah, it sort of sounds like a shortened version of lasagna, but yeah. it isn't. It's Sanya. Sanya. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, can also be called Sanya Retorte, which means mm. turned. Um, and so it's a kind of wide pappardelle-type ribbon of pasta, which you hold one end and roll the other end with your hand so it twists and then because the pasta doesn't actually um, roll evenly you then turn it around and do the other and then you've got a kind of halved a kind of u-shape of pasta which conveniently stays like that when you boil it <laughs> yeah and, and they just and you know not you rolled it a lot and cut it up you'd have yeah, fusilli yeah. or something yeah, but they just but keep it in the long yes, ribbon yeah. so this this pasta comes from Puglia mm -hmm. mm. wonderful uh, yeah yeah. Um, and and something that is more, um, you know, from the from the times of of um, the, the poorer times, mm -hmm. the times of not having a lot, which um, one of the women serves it with breadcrumb dumplings. Yes. Right? Yes. Which passat we have passatelli, which are breadcrumb pastas. So that comes from the village in the um, immediate area of Santa Maria de Leoca, um, and. Um, yeah, it's just a way of, um, of filling up people is, yeah. to use, is to poach this cheesy dumpling um, in the tomato sauce that you've got. Or you can deep fry them as well. And that kind of um, thing of double carb in using breadcrumbs also crops up in Abruzzo. Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny how things kind of crop yeah, up in random funny. places. But it, and it's amazing how over the years these <clears throat> recipes, I mean, they didn't really travel to the different regions but they, they're there but maybe in a different form yes you know, very yes shushela the the dumplings um i i don't know that they've traveled at all actually i mm. think people mostly kind of balk at the idea of having dumplings and pasta yeah it, it took me it really took me by surprise <laughs> when i read about that. if yeah. you want to go down there in the summer they also have a festival and i think you can have them on their own without the pasta as yeah. well but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's great yeah well there are so many stories and so many more recipes to to talk about we will talk about some more of these yeah. things and your plans okay. for more filming <laughs> when we come back after a short break so stay with us This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. RWCF addresses quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, such as wage fairness, gender equity, racial justice, immigrant rights, mental health, and substance abuse. Learn more about advocacy, grant making, and impact investing by RWCF at restaurantworkerscf.org. Hi, we're back, and I am speaking with Vicki Benison, the creator of the famous Pasta Grannies, Yay. the YouTube channel that went viral. I mean, it really did. Yes, it, very much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, my husband tells the story of me coming down um, one morning saying, someone's hacked the, the uh, YouTube channel. I've got to... I've got to find out and stop it because it gone up 10,000 overnight. <laughs> and I thought something had gone wrong. <laughs> what, I mean, aside from the fact that they're just, just such endearing 
women and stories, what do you attribute that jump? I think everybody loves pasta and they particularly love grandmothers. <laughs> and I think it's a very positive and also soothing in a weird kind of way, um, watching these um, I think people quite often run, um, write into me and say that they've binge watched um, Pasta Grannies. Oh, I, I <laughs> could. I'm definitely one of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's just they're not very long. How about what's the average length of your? We, we've um, allowed them to get slightly longer. Uh, I didn't when know. it was um, when I first started, and I was using a tripod and terrified. I um, mean, they were about two and a half minutes long, and now they're about um, very between about you know three and a half and five minutes long. Yeah. Um, and and, um, yes, I mean, we might experiment with slightly longer um, episodes if there's enough story um, to carry that extra length. Um, we're not going to increase it just for the sake of it. So, right. yeah. I mean, obviously, you're, what you're doing is, is very successful. I mean, you've captured mm. the right interest point for, yes. for people, and they want to see these women working with, I mean, the hands, and it's the hands are just remarkable. The hands are remarkable. Yeah, you could do a whole um, photo montage on just the different hands, right? <laughs> yes. But the women are also so very different. I mean, there's a, the similarity, once again, is that passion and love for the food and yeah. feeding the family. But some will be just, as you talked about, Chisadia, uh, old and wrinkled from head to toe. And then there are a couple others who are fully made up and their yes. hands or nails are manicured and, and even polished. And, yes. And... Um, uh, others who look like they could care less that you're there filming them, um, they vary in in styles and personalities as all as all women do. As everywhere, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's but they have this one thing in common, and that's that their passion for making pasta. Y yes, um, and I think it's for them. It's about putting love on the table. I think it's a way they are quite central to their family life, and although you don't see them very often, this is how, you know, you know, putting putting food on the table is such an important aspect when you've lived through food shortages and things, mm -hmm. which was the case in the 1930s and through right. the war and things. Um, so, so that's how they do it through through their food. Um, so they don't just make pasta. I mean, they're great cooks generally. Um, you know, we got one um, Maria from Faenza who we went back to because she also makes pastries and, and all sorts of things. Um, she's a very good cook generally. Um, yeah, so, and I think people kind of relate to that, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, although I occasionally get people writing and saying, my granny couldn't cook and loved the microwave as soon as it was <laughs> invented. <laughs> Just, um, that's not the case in Italy. I think they're still quite, um, the, people, the women we're filming quite often are kind of contadina, the sort of um, market gardeners. Outside the yes. city centres. Yes, yeah, we definitely. don't, um, I have filmed in um, Torino um, and there, you know, you instantly get more problems because you've ceased to have small communities and people are put in big flat, blocks of flat and stuff and get lonely and so there has to be sort of there's this uh, initiative to bring people together through pasta which I think is rather lovely oh um, I think it's, mm. it's wonderful and yeah. um, you do um, spend some time talking about uh, some of the women's vegetable gardens mm. and their you know their mm. fruits and 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 the different couple, not a lot of time spent, but the uses of, of pasta being a sweet as well. 
in some instances, but not a lot. However, you know, initially that pasta was served as a sweet. It was, uh, yes, I believe, yeah. you know, several several centuries ago, people were less bothered about, you know, where they put sugar because <laughs> sugar was, you know, your Lamborghini. It was just right. so expensive. Um, and um, where flashing your wealth was to put sugar in something. So it didn't matter whether it was the pudding. It had to be, you know, it was just, it would turn up somewhere else. So if you could afford to put it in with your pasta, so much the better. <laughs> well, now what I want to talk to you about yeah. is for the initiated and uninitiated yes. in pasta making. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people are envisioning, okay, um, electric machine or even the hand cranking yes. pasta machine. None of these women use machine. Yeah, we do film some that do. I mean, sometimes... Oh, they never mind. Take that okay. back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, two things. One is um, sometimes they get too old and their shoulders, you know, can't cope with um, the mattarello, the long rolling pin. It's quite a good workout if you're thinking of wanting to get fit. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that I think increasing wealth, as you go further north, people increasingly uh, use the machinetta rather than in the south. Um, you know, the passive police aren't going to sort of um, criticise you if you do use a machinetta. Um, I personally think it's no quicker than um, using a, a board and pin, because mm -hmm. um, by the time you faffed around kind of folding it up and, you know, messing with the dial to get it thinner and things, you may as well just got a pin and rolled it out. Mm -hmm. And you don't even have to get a pin. You know, there are lots of uh, rolling pin. You, you, there are lots of pastas that you just need to make the dough and then, you know, roll, it, roll out the cavatelli with your pin, uh, your, thumb, your thumb, sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in the book, there are um, pastas for everybody. There's, you know, the Maria's Rescue Telly that we've talked about. There's another great pasta, which is um, which children adore as well. is is called Peachy, um, and that's a. And they can a, make them themselves. Yes, that's right. right. <laughs> so that's handmade spaghetti, really. You just kind of make a, a so long. Like a kid playing with with clay. Exactly. I mean, you just roll out a long <laughs> snake. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or um, skinny snake. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so. Um, that's pepper, and she has a kind of uh, al aioni, uh, sort of a, a sweet garlic um, sauce. So she puts, you know, a whole head in, I think, and, and mm. sort of simmers it with tomato sauce. Mm. So that's very delicious. Um, yeah, so there's sort of kind of lots of basic ones that you can do that with very little experience. You know. But then um, there are certain uh, utensils or that, that they that they need or they can't do without, and I'm sure a lot of them are their own making for, well, even for cavatelli, if they want ridged, you know, alarigate. Mm, I mean, or, you don't you don't need a, a gnocchi board with the ridges. Um, it's like a little paddle. You can also use a fork. Um, I think hmm. you, you know... Um, it's true. A lot of people roll it off the tines of exactly, a Exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, until quite recently, people didn't really have crockery. I mean, um, so, I mean, I love the story of polenta used to be put straight on the table. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can find a couple of restaurants who will still do, do that, that on, a, yes. on a napkin. They'll put yes. it on a, the okay. board <laughs> down and then a napkin yeah, and, yeah. Them, and pour it out. Um, so there are lots of pastas um, that you don't actually need special um, um, implements for. Um, and um, so... Yeah, so you know you can you can if you really want, for example, go and buy a trocoli, which is a ridged rolling pin that makes the same kind of pasta as you would get 
um, with uh, using the katara. It's still a square spaghetti. Mm -hmm. But equally, you can just chop up your svolia and you get a very similar thing. And, you know, as, as a mouthfeel, it's it's pretty much the same. So, you know, it's uh, there are lots of um, easy pastas to discover. Yeah. Mm. Well, there's um, one that is, is just so... So elegant, uh, the Lumacelle alla uh, yes. du Duquesa, <laughs> yeah, alla Duquesa, from Urbino. Yes, area. that's that's. Would tell us about that. Oh, this is a wonderful pasta because you add um, cinnamon to the dough. And originally, it was only meant for aristocracy, um, in particular women who had given birth to the heir needed um, sustenance mm -hmm. um, uh, to keep them going through the um, after the, you know the, the birth so nuns in the Urbino area used to make this pasta which oh, and has, cinnamon was expensive and so, cinnamon was yeah. very expensive um, and so you put that in the dough and then you you go to all sorts of trouble. You you roll it out and you cut it up and then you kind of make these um, little tubes of pasta which are ridged. You roll it along an old weaving comb um, to create the ridges, very fine ridges. So you end up with these tiny little tubes that are ridged um, and then you, you poach them in um, chicken broth and you serve it with um, the chicken innards traditionally because they were considered um, the most nutritional thing you could give um, a lactating mother. And, and so that was uh, the dish. Um, it's such an elegant, <laughs> elegant looking little, yeah, you little can, tiny you ring can, or tube. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you, nowadays you just add parmigiano rather than, um, you know, chicken gizzards. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yes, so there's that. And, in fact, if you're in a hurry, um, you could just roll out your pasta and cut up squares and, and put that into your chicken broth. And it's a, and the smell coming off your chicken stock is just delicious. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Excellent. Um, the there are some um, pastas that are made that, that we don't often hear about, and I'm, I'm sure this was during a time when people didn't have access to to the wheat or to a mill mm -hmm. made with different grains, such as farro or yes, uh, yes, yeah. so buckwheat. So, yes, yeah, so, so unless you actually grew your own wheat, in which case you've got your mill, um, local mill, to come around every time you needed, you, they grind your own flour. Um, with the wheat that you had supplied. So you always have very fresh wheat. Um, and that's actually a comment that I get from older women is, is that the flour doesn't taste the same these days. It doesn't have that kind of sweet nuttiness that you get. Um, so for those people who didn't um, grow their own wheat, um, you would have to find other ways of cutting that wheat to make it go further. So you can have chestnut flour you can add, um, you can add farro flour, and then uh, there's the burnt wheat flour, the grano aso that you yes. get in Puglia, which is very specific. And that was from picking up all, all the uh, leftover wheat after you'd burned the field after the harvest. And nowadays that's done artificially in a, in a factory. Um, so it's. I mean, it was scavenging, yeah. when, scavenging when it first yes. came about. Now it's done <laughs> intentionally. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's now, a, you know, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you film these women, mm. um, okay, you've made the, you know, you've gone in, you've had somebody introduce you, do the introductions, yes. and, and, you know, spend time, they tell you what they're going to make. Do you, I mean, is it, it's they have their recipe. They know what they want to make, and and you say go for it. Uh, do you do they do you buy the ingredients for them? 
do they or do they say no no I mean mm. is there pride in that you know there's a lot that goes into this yes. this agreement <laughs> there is yes so um, we do buy their ingredients actually what we try and do is pay them we we pay them um, and it's quite a struggle sometimes we have to kind of hide it on a mantelpiece somewhere sometimes um, just because they're very proud and actually right. when they're actually being hospitable to you so the idea of um, us paying them is sometimes um, you know not not something that they want um, but so as a principle we pay for the ingredients and their time sure. um, and so that we do that um, and to offset those one or two that we can't do that to because we're causing offence if we have insisted. Um, we also do um, um, charitable donations um, to offset that. So we're very keen that we're not, for want of a bit better expression, you know, exploiting our grandmothers. Right. We're, we're, we're sort of cherishing them. Um, so, for example, last year I'm, I waived my fee and I gave to um, charity because that people wanted some grandmothers. So I said, okay, well, what you're paying me, I'm giving to charity. So that's how we, how we do it. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that I'm sure, so you don't offend them. You have to eat what they've made. Oh, look at the shape of me. Oh, do you? I'm sure sometimes you, you, you're not. Believe me, I, it doesn't show that you're eating that much. Um, I would imagine that you film maybe a couple times a day, a couple different... Yeah, sometimes we even manage to film four if they're all in the same wow. area. Um, and, I and mean, you have to, if you don't eat, that is a total offence. It yeah. is, of course, yeah. yes. They're, they're not thinking of YouTube, they're thinking of making a meal for us. Yeah. So we all sit down and have lunch at nine in the morning and we will repeat that several times during the day <laughs> and fortunately um our cameraman andrea um you know he can eat for five <laughs> and he's very uh, gorgeous and um all our grannies love him so you know we get one spoonful and he gets six <laughs> so he gets to eat the lion's share of, of what is made um a, so, tough, yes. a tough job but someone's gonna he, do it right he's slamming it yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, it's it is such a wonderful series, and, I, and I applaud you for for having the fortitude to go through with all this, oh, all these years, it. and and uh, and giving us this treasure of uh, recipes and and to see the actual process of of this being made, which you know may may not continue, but maybe Ooh. you will inspire you will inspire a whole new group of pasta makers. I hope so. Okay. Yes. No, um, and we, we're definitely not giving up. <laughs> so. so what's next? You got more up your sleeve, more, more pasta films up your sleeve? Yes. More pasta films. Um, maybe, you know, maybe going over into Croatia just to see what the grandmothers get it, getting up to there. Um, and also maybe going back to the grandmothers and seeing what else they have up their sleeve. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm often asked for dolce, um, you know, what biscuits and biscotti they're making. Um, I think that would be popular too. Mm -hmm. um, so anything that's cooked from scratch, really. Um, um, that you know that would be a dis even more of a disaster for my waistline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I don't have a sweet tooth, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, m more of the same, um, more lovely grannies mm -hmm. are up our sleeve. Yes. Well, I look forward to seeing anything more that you do. Thank but you. I I specifically want to thank you for the book because you know it's it's the videos are one thing. You know you sit and you watch them and that's great and you get inspired. Yeah. But this book is something I can keep going back to and and actually cook from it and. Um, how many recipes are in here? All 75. Is that all? 
it's oh, it just seems like it's so rich. It seems like there yes. are more than that. Well, just, I think there's definitely volume. I mean, not, I don't mean three. that that <laughs> is that all. That's a lot, you know. But yes. but it just oh, it just seems like there are, are so many wonderful variations on a theme. Yes, you know? yes, and wonderful. and um, you know we're always discovering there's so many more wonderful recipes out there. So. Watch this space. Well, you have <laughs> preserved these regional classics for us all, and, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for this wonderful series and for being here and spending your time. It's an absolute me. pleasure. Thank yeah. you. And thank you all for listening. This has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.